Well, I know that's probably a lot like uh, drinking from a fire hydrant, especially those of you who may not have been here last week. Let me encourage you, if you weren't here last week, I don't often encourage you to go back and listen to me uh, because I don't want to have to put you through that amount of suffering. Uh, but if you would, I would probably go back and, and listen to last week's announcement too so that you can kind of understand uh, how we got to where we are today. So I know that's a lot of information. Uh, and you really, uh, if you have any questions, I want you to know I'm here to talk about it. I'm glad to talk about it. Uh, and there is a lot of change coming. Uh, but more importantly, uh, we're taking steps to reach the upstate for Jesus. And here's what I really want to make sure we're aware of as we move forward today. What I want to spend the rest of my time talking about today is that that doesn't just involve me and what I'm doing. That doesn't just involve uh, new buildings, right, and, and constructing pl a, a big enough facility for Harrison Bridge and Haywood. That doesn't just include things like that. If we're going to advance the mission of God to make disciples, to go into a lost world and reach people for Jesus, that also involves you. You have a part to play in the mission of God. So what I want to encourage us with over the next few minutes is even, even as there's massive change coming, right? Even as things are, are, are kind, of being, kind of getting a shakeup, I want to challenge us as a church to strive for missional unity. To strive for missional unity. Now you might be asking, what is missional unity? This is unity where we're all going in the same direction, for the same purpose, for the sake of a lost world and the glory of God's name. That, that is your part in the days ahead. It's not just something I'm called to do, it's something we're all called to do, to put the mission uh, as our highest priority and say we're going to pursue the mission of God together. Now, I want to just be real frank with you for a few moments. And if you're a visitor and you're thinking, well, maybe this is abnormal that he talks this bluntly. It's not. Come back next Sunday and we'll talk again. I want to be real frank with you for just a second. We are not wired for this type of missional unity because most of us have accepted a self-centered form of Christianity rather than Christianity that's focused on God's name and living for God's glory. And I just want to make sure you know as a church... There may be places where you can go in the upstate that, will be, that would be okay with settling for a version of Christianity that's self-centered. But that is not this church. We want to pursue God for the glory of His name and the good of our neighbor. And in doing so, we believe we'll find abundant life. That's what we're here for. Now, to understand this biblically, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In order to understand what, what's happening in Romans chapter 12, just know this, and I'll expound on this more as we, get, as we get into it a little bit, but Romans 1 through 11 has been Paul talking about the good news of the gospel for 11 chapters. Uh, it's 11 chapters of one dude talking about the same thing over and over and over and over again. He can't, it's like he can't get enough of this good news. But in Romans chapter 12, Paul changes from talking about the theological reality of our salvation and turns to begin talking about the practical application of our salvation. In other words, what he does is in Romans chapter 12, he turns the page and it kind of flows like this. You believe this, so you should live like this. 
What I want to challenge you with today is that your part in the days ahead, your part in the mission of God, is that if you are a Christian, you have said, I believe like this, so I want to challenge you to live how God's saying we should live in Romans chapter 12. And now understand this. This is why this is important. If we collectively all answer the call that is Romans chapter 12 to live the lifestyle that God's calling us to live, we will have missional unity. We can accomplish the mission of Jesus in the world around us. But it will not happen unless we answer God's call to live the way he's called us to live. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, here's what the scripture says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you that he ought not to think, that not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Now notice what Paul has just done here. He's made a subtle shift. He's gone from the individual to the corporate. He's gone from how you should live on your own to how you must live in the body of Christ. All right? He's moved from the individual to the corporate. For, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What Paul does here is lay out a type of lifestyle that if we will live we will have missional unity. We'll all be on the same page for the same purpose. I want to point out to you three things that Paul's calling for. Number one, understand this. Missional unity demands mutual surrender of self. Missional unity demands mutual surrender of self. That's a big sentence. Basically, here's what, here's what I'm trying to say with that sentence. That there will be no missional unity that we will not be on the same page for the same purpose to accomplish God's mission in the world. There will be no missional unity if the people of God do not come together as individuals in this corporate setting and surrender their preferences to God's call. There will be no missional unity unless we say, okay, I know that I like things a certain way, but instead of the way I like things, I'm going to answer God's call instead. There has to be surrender of self. Now, here's why this is important. In Romans 12, 1, this is exactly what Paul is calling for. He says, present your bodies as what? As a living sacrifice. Now, the people in the first century, when they would have heard this phrase, living sacrifice, they would have known exactly what Paul was calling for. Uh, think with me about the first century pagans in Rome who may have become a part of the church who heard this phrase, living sacrifice. They understood what a sacrifice was. As a matter of fact, they sacrificed to their Roman gods quite often before they came to Jesus. They would go into the temple and they would bring some sort of sacrifice and that would make the, the gods happy with them when they brought in their sacrifice. Or think with me about the Old Testament Jews. 
The Old Testament Jews were very familiar with sacrifice. What do we know about the Scripture? The Scripture says that in order to find forgiveness, there must be blood. So what did the Jews do? They brought animals into the temple, and they brought them to the altar of God, and they killed the animals for forgiveness. But now, in Romans chapter 1-11, through 11, Paul has gone on and on and on about how you no longer have to make a sacrifice to God for God to approve of you. So the people in Rome, as they heard this, they would have asked, well, man, that's great. We don't have to make a sacrifice to God for God to approve of us. So what should we do now? And here's Paul's answer. You don't have to make a sacrifice to God for God to approve of you because God's done all that in Jesus Christ. So here's what you do. You offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. What Paul is calling for is for Christians to embrace a response, a lifestyle of responding to God in sacrifice in response to what God has already done for us. Paul is saying that we are supposed to offer ourselves to God. We're supposed to be people who say, Jesus, here I am, have me. This means that our mindset in the Christian life is a mindset of sacrifice. That would would mean our thought process probably sounds something like this if we have a mindset of sacrifice. Jesus, you are so good, what can I give? Jesus, you have done so much for me, what can I do? Jesus, you have come to me to the very earth to die on a cross for me, where can I go? Jesus, you have done so much to serve me, how can I serve you? You see, this is a mindset of sacrifice in response to what Jesus has done. Now, here's the thing. I want to encourage you in this for just a second. Because, church, living with this mindset of sacrifice is not what comes natural to us as human beings. We are not wired to think, what is the hardest thing I can do for someone else, not for me? We are not wired to think, okay, God, I'll do exactly what I don't want to do because you want me to do it. Yet that is exactly what Paul is telling us we should do. And understand this. Paul's argument is not that it's natural to live, with, to live sacrificing yourself to God. Paul's argument is that it's only logical that you live sacrificing yourself to God based on what he's already done for you. We are called... To embrace a mindset of sacrifice. Now, in order to do that, I want to say this in as loving way as possible. In order to embrace this lifestyle, we have to abandon the consumerist mindset that most of us walk through the Christian life with. We have to abandon the consumerist mindset that most of us come to church with. You see, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that most of us have traded sacrificing for God for consumption of God. So what do do we do? We come to church and we consume and we consume and we consume. And then we don't feel like we're consuming enough, so we get in a Bible study. And we consume and we consume and we consume. And and, and then we feel like we need to be even closer to God, so what do we do? We, We have a quiet time and we consume and we consume and we consume. And hear me say this, that's not all bad. There is a natural place for consuming God. But what Paul is telling us is that once we have been consuming God, we need to go forth and live sacrificing for God. You see, most of us have exchanged sacrifice for consumption. And so instead of having 
a thought process that says, what can I do for you? We think something more like this. Jesus, you are so good. What do I like best? Jesus, you have served me so much. Which campus will best serve my needs? Jesus, you, I, I've read the scripture. You are the best preacher there ever was. Jesus, what preacher do I like to hear best? Do you see how completely opposite this is than the way Jesus tells us to think? Than the way Paul's calling for us to think? And now understand, I think that there are times where there are questions like this, that, that, that those are valid questions. Can I just tell you, as your pastor, I would never encourage you to go to a church that you hate, right? Like you get up on Sunday morning, like, oh, Sunday again, babe. Got to go listen to that windbag, right? <laughs> Some of you think that now. You think I don't know. Y'all clap. When, hey, when y'all said, when, I, when he said, hey, would pastor, y'all were like, thank God, he's gone, right? I saw y'all. I would never encourage you to go to a church where it was detrimental to your children, Right? Like, your, your kids are just like, man, I tell you, I hate going to church so much, can't wait till I turn 18, and I am done. I would never encourage that. But listen to me, what I am telling you is that this type of thought process is not to be the thought process that determines the Christian life for us. Instead, we're supposed to be guided by not consuming more and more and more, but sacrificing more and more and more. Here's what that means. You are called to, you are not called to comfortable consumerism. You are called to be a living sacrifice such that in the days ahead, I know that there's a lot of change coming and you might be thinking to yourself, what do I need to do? What's best for my family? Where can I go? How can I do that? All those things are going through your mind. Here's what I want you to, as a Christian, here's what you need to live with the understanding of. That God may call you in the days ahead to do something that you don't particularly want to do. To sacrifice for his kingdom. Because that's what's best for his kingdom. And ultimately, even though you may not understand it, it's what's best for you. Church, as your pastor, here's what I want you to know. It's better to do hard things in the will of God than to be comfortable outside the will of God. So will you do hard things? Will you be a living sacrifice for Jesus? I long for the day where sacrifice is such the natural output of our faith that I don't have to make qualifications about how we choose churches and how we choose campuses. But that when someone says to me, I need to shift, make a shift, it, I can trust that it's not because they're trying to take the easy way out, but because they feel a calling and an urgency of God to go and sacrifice. Man, I pray that we would see that day in our lifetime where people are consumed to sacrifice for Jesus. We need to surrender. There needs to be mutual surrender of self. But also, the second thing I want you to see is this. Missional unity will only happen by God's grace. Now, listen to me. We're talking a lot. Uh, 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 we're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about it again over the next three weeks, really. We're talking a lot about what Christians are called to do. Okay? Like Christians are called to sacrifice, right? Now, here's the thing. I don't want us to be people who talk so much about what we're called to do that we forget why we're called to do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want us to be people who are just motivated by the action, but not motivated by the, the, the grace of God. So, and Paul here doesn't just call us to be living sacrifices for no reason. 
Paul actually has a very specific reason that we are to be living sacrifices. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, he says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, let me just say this. This is going to be really easy for us to miss because most of us in 2022, and I'm not being mean, we've just kind of lost it in our digital age. Most of us don't, can't pick up on what Paul's saying here because most of us have lost the ability to really read text and understand what they mean. All the English teachers in the room are like, yes, praise God, all right? What I mean by this is that there are times when you're reading a text that the, the meaning may not be in the words that you have, but in the context before or in what's coming after. And in here, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, that therefore is really important. You've heard, probably heard a preacher say this. Anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to know what the therefore is there for, right? And in this case, Paul's saying, I, I appeal to you, brothers, to be a living sacrifice, and the therefore tells you why. The therefore is pointing us back to all that Paul has said in Romans chapters 1 through 11. Paul, so to kind of get this, Paul's saying, I appeal to you, brothers, to be a living sacrifice because of what I've been telling you about. Now, what's Paul been telling us about in Romans chapters 1 through 11? I, I spoke to this briefly, but I want to just dive into this for just a second. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach Romans 1 through 11. You're going to get lunch on, somewhere on time. But in Romans chapter 1 through 11 may be some of the most important chapters in Scripture because he explains to us the gospel. Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 are probably the most depressing chapters in all of Scripture, right? Go read it for yourself. Here's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1, that everyone has exchanged the truth about God for a lie and is blinded by sin, that people have traded righteousness for unrighteousness and live in sin, and because of this, they're going to suffer the wrath of God. And all God's people are like, amen, it's good stuff, right? And guess what? You think, well, chapter 2 is going to get a little better. You turn over to chapter 2, and it says, hey, you Jews who've been following the law, I know you think you're better than those people who don't have the law, but your sinner's going to hell too. And you're like, man, this is getting tough. So you flip over to Romans chapter 3, and you think it's going to be getting good now. And Romans chapter 3, the pinnacle is Romans 3.23, where it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you're like, golly, that's tough, right? And usually that's where you break. If you're in a Bible study, you break after 3, and you go home, and you're just encouraged. Because everyone's sinners and everyone's going to hell. But man, then you turn the page into Romans 4, 5, and 6, and you get the most beautiful explanation of the gospel that has ever been recorded. That by the faith that you have in the saving God of the universe, it will be accredited to you as righteousness, so that on the day that you die, you will stand before God in life. How can you possibly stand before God in life? That, that even though you'll stand before God in life, because that even though sin entered by one man, his name was Adam, and death entered by that one man, Adam, that, that because of the righteousness of one man, you can stand before God, because righteousness came through one man, and his name was Jesus. So that you can stand before God made perfect. That there is therefore now, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you're like, this is awesome. But it gets better because you read Romans 9, 10, and 11. And you're like, I just don't understand how such a good God could love me. I don't, how do I know that he'll always love me? And you, read, you go and you read Romans chapter 8. And it says, nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Not height, nor depth, nor death, nor famine, nor sickness. Nothing can ever separate you from God. And then you get to Romans chapter 9. And here's what you find. In Romans chapter 9, it's that God's always loved you. 
Then there was never a day where he actually started loving you. He's just loved you from all eternity. And you get to the end of Romans chapter 11, and it says, For all things were created through him and by him and for him. And you're like, let's go! Like you just, that, that's how I am when I watch football too, okay? It's a little weird. <laughs> but you just get so jacked up. Like you're like, this is the best 11 chapters that I've ever read in Scripture. Because once I got past that really depressing part in Romans 1, 2, and 3, I have found the best news that I've ever read in my life. There is a God of the universe, and he loves me. And when you read that, you get so fired up, and you begin to ask, what should I do now? And here's what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. You see, the reason, there's a reason, I hope you get, I, I got a little carried away, I'm sorry, okay? I hope you see that the reason why God has called us to this life is not so that we can earn favor with God, but because we already have favor with God. So this missional unity will only happen once we begin to build our life on this good news. And here's the deal, guys. This is such good news. This is such good news that the life, death, and resurrection of Christ should become the defining and determining factor in the life of a Christian. That it is the one thing in our life that we cannot get by. That every decision we make, every, every word we speak, every place we go is determined and defined by the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I want to say this to you. Is your life determined and defined by the good news of Jesus? Because if it's not church, listen, you have missed the good news of the gospel. And understand this. When we all build our life on this reality, when you say this is the most important reality in my life, and they say this is the most important reality in my life, and then we come together and determine that we're, live, we're building our life on this reality, and then we as a group of people begin to live our lives, making decisions, working because of this reality, there is nothing in the world we cannot accomplish for Jesus. This is why this is so important. Missional unity only happens when we're all making decisions based on what Jesus has done for us. Are you making decisions based on what Jesus has done for you? Or what feels most comfortable to you? Finally, I want to challenge you with this. Missional unity requires collective stewardship. We've talked a good bit about this, but stewardship, answering God's call to do what he's given you, it's going to be really important in the days ahead. The reason is, is that every single person in this room has a job in the mission of God. I hope you understand this. That there are no exceptions or limitations to this clause. Every person here has a job to do in the mission of God. You might be saying, well, Pastor, I know you say I've got a job to do, but I'm old. Let me tell you all about Moses, all right? <laughs> you might be saying, Pastor, I know you say I got, a, I got a job to do, but I'm not particularly gifted. Let me tell you about Peter. 
You might be saying, Pastor, I know I've got a job to do, but I, you don't know how big of a sinner I am. Let me tell you about David who committed adultery with another man's wife and then had the guy killed. I think you're okay. We all have a job to do in the mission of God. And the reason why this is so important is because in times of transition, if we don't all do the job that God's called us to do, the work of God can go left undone. It can be left undone. Because oftentimes in our consumerist mindset, here's what happens. That we come in and we think the people, the people of God begin to think the work of God is done by a man of God, right? In this consumerist model, everybody just kind of looks at the preacher as a man of God, some kind of special anointing on his life. If you want to talk about special anointing on my life, come to my house on Tuesday and we'll examine the special anointing when I'm trying to give one kid a bath, feed the, feed the other kid baby bananas. You ever tried to feed a six-month-old bananas? We can talk all about anointing then, all right? But in this consumerist model, the, it's the, the people of God trust that the work of God is done by a man of God. And then what happens when the man of God steps out and does something else? The work of God falls down. Here's what I'm telling you. That if the people of God will answer the call to do the work of God that they've been equipped to do, the man of God can step out and you'll never notice he's gone. Because you are the men and women of God. You have a job to play. That's the whole point that when Paul moves to the corporate. He says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace of God, let us use them. We all have different gifts. And if you refuse to use the gift that God's given you, you are being a bad steward of your gift. And ultimately, listen, you are hurting the church. You're like, man, he's a jerk today. I told you, all right, I, 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 this is a serious time. And I want us to answer the call that God's put on our life. And can I just tell you that I'm convinced that our lack of stewardship is the reason why so many of us are miserable at church? It's no wonder that we see church as negotiable or we don't want to come when we refuse to play the part that God's called us to play in the church. Stewardship is responding to God according to what He's done and the gift He's given us so that we live a life that matches the grace that God's already given us. So here's what I'm telling you, church, that in the days and weeks and moments to come, that God has called you to walk in certain places so that the work of God goes on. And listen, I don't mean that just in this building. I mean that outside Monday through Saturday as well. Will you be a good steward of what God's given you? Church, I want to close with this. Last week, you guys did something for me that meant the world. You guys prayed over my family. And so I want to close today with an opportunity to pray over this church. And, and as I do that, I want to just point out a couple things to you, okay? Number one, I want to just remind you that over the next three months, maybe potentially for six months for some of you, nothing really changes for you at Harrison Bridge, right? I'm not going, I'm not leaving tomorrow, right? Like next Sunday, I, I, I'm going to preach here, and I'm going to baptize my six-year-old here, okay? Like I'm going I'm, I'm to be here. This is still home for the moment. So what I want to challenge you to do is over the next three months, if you would, I want to ask you to be really intentional about praying what God would have you do and where God would have you go and how God would have you serve such so that at the end of this three months, you're convinced that you're not following a man to another place if you're going to Haywood or you're not staying here to, to hear another man, but you're, that you're doing what God has called you to do. Listen, I can think of nothing 
that puts more pressure on me or is more miserable for you than following a person around. And I, I, I want you to do what Romans 12, 2 says here. To, be, to have your mind transformed by the Spirit of God so that you may know what the will of God is for you. So and during the next three months, while nothing changes, will you pray and ask God specifically to show you what you need to do in the days ahead? The second thing I want to challenge you to do is this. I want to challenge you to go ahead and serve. Listen, God, I, I, me and God, we talked about this. If you're just waiting for some kind of special like revelation from God that you need to do the work of God. We talked. Here's your revelation. You need to do the work of God. Don't wait for the days ahead to get involved in the work of God. Do that now. Finally, I want to pray for you guys, and I want to ask you to do something special. In a sign of commitment to the days ahead, I want to ask you that when the worship band comes up and starts playing, if you would, would you make a move forward to the altar and come down, and if you're able, get on your knees and pray to God for direction in the days ahead. Pray to God for help in the days ahead, and while you're doing that, I'm going to pray over Harrison Bridge specifically that God would give each and every one of us guidance and that God would have the best days ahead in this place, not behind. Would you pray for me? Dear God, thank you so much for your word. God, I just pray that, um, Lord, if I got in your way, Lord, I, I know that there are times, dear God, where I get carried away and I just pray that you would forgive me for that. I just pray that if I got in your way at all, you would forgive me. And I pray that instead the Holy Spirit would be in this place, dear God. Dear Lord, I just pray very specifically a couple things right now. Number one, I pray that the people of Harrison Bridge would understand and not make a bigger deal out of this than what it is, dear God. Because, dear Lord, I'm not the first pastor to go to a different place. And I will not be the last pastor to go to a different place. And this is not my church. This is your church, God. So, God... Bring a, a presence of peace on your people. And God, I just thank you for the work that's going to begin in January that's going to allow us to, in this place, reach more people than we ever have before. And God, I pray that you would just reassure every one of us that, that in the church and the days ahead, the best days are not behind us, but in front of us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.